What an opportunity uh, I have this morning um, to introduce someone that's going to minister the word to us. And, and uh, he was actually here um, back in uh, 2002, and he ministered to the church back in 2002, and he came and taught at the Bible school. And um, he, is a, he was a pastor in, in Toronto for uh, about uh, 14 years. Um, if you hear Dr. Savelle tell the stories of when he did a 21-day revival there, 21 meetings in a row where, where God moved, there was one of the services where, where he stood up there and he said, not one service is the same. And he said, he said you there, you're preaching tonight. And, and this will be the gentleman that's ministering to us. And now he's been ministering in Italy, has a church in Italy. And um, he's, uh, he's, he's part of Rama, Italy, so he translates most of all of uh, Kenneth Hagin's uh, books into Italian and oversees Rama in Italy. Uh, and so grew up, uh, learned faith through Kenneth Hagin and learned excellence in ministry through Dr. Savell. So I would let everyone to stand to your feet. And I'd like to welcome the man of God this morning, Dr. Max Mario Giorgenti. Thank you. <laughs> Buongiorno, buongiorno, state bene tutti quanti, tutto ok, tutto a posto, bene? You want me to speak English this morning? Aren't you picky in Crowley, Texas? All right, well, it's just uh, an honor for me to uh, be here this morning, and uh, I want to thank uh, Pastor Justin for inviting me. I met him yesterday, and we just uh, hit it off on, on the right foot. Really good uh, fellowship and kinship of uh, uh, spirit. And uh, um, I just love Texas. I think the whole world should be like Texas, you know. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Big and free. <laughs> oh, Glory. And I know that, uh, you know, we can fit four of our Italian cars in Pastor Justin's truck, you know. <laughs> and uh, so it's really, really good to be here. Yeah, like Pastor Justin said, I was here in two, 2002. That's like 14 years ago. It's like I blinked and, and 14 years have gone by. Really uh, amazing. And uh, I, 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 it's just an honor for me to, to be with Dr. Sava. I love him with my whole heart. Uh, I've, I've learned uh, faith from uh, uh, Kenneth E. Hagan, and that changed my life. I wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for believing God, believing that God heals. Yeah. And I couldn't do, then I learned quickly. You know, first when you walk by faith, you use it to uh, learn to pay your bills and to uh, overcome depression and insecurity and fear and so on. And that, that's all really good. And uh, then, you know, for a job and a new car and so on. But then... Now I've learned that God wants me to use my faith for cities and nations. And, uh, and, and Dr. Savell, I learned just uh, excellence of ministry from him. And uh, um, I met him. Uh, it was a supernatural thing, really. Um, uh, in 1986, that, that's uh, 27 years ago, 26 years ago. That's a long time. That, that's like, you know, 26 years it's almost like a marriage, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, it was during a revival in Toronto. Uh, the reason why I'm Italian and I speak English uh, relatively well anyways is because uh, well, I was born in Italy, but then when I was 12 years old, my parents immigrated to Canada. And, uh, and so 
then, you know, God, uh, really my dad went there like, like most immigrants to make a better life for yourself. But God had his plan and God saved us there, filled us with the spirit and then called us all to serve him. And our life did become better, much better than we ever thought. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, but God had his plan. And so uh, a, a pastor who's now in heaven, Bud Williams, uh, had a revival in Toronto. And, and Dr. Savell came in. He was only supposed to be there for a few days, just a weekend initially, I think. And then it turned out to be a six-week revival. And it was one of those uh, things that God did. And so I was a young pastor, and I had uh, a, a starting church. And so I did the smart thing. I shut down our services and we went to the revival meetings. And uh, uh, over there, uh, uh, that's how we met uh, Dr. Savell. And uh, uh, then uh, uh, God uh, uh, called uh, me back to go to Italy. So 20 years ago, we uh, went back to Italy. And uh, now we have a work there. We planted four churches and uh, Dr. Savall, I remember one lunch, he looked at me and he said, you know, I, I'm supposed to go to Italy and I haven't found the right person yet. And then he pointed his finger at me and he said, you're it. And the funny thing is at that time, I didn't even know I was going to Italy yet because I was really happy in Toronto. And, uh, you know, that was where my call was at, at that time. And then God just uh, shifted phase of ministry and that, that's been our next uh, phase. Uh, so we planted four churches and uh, uh, we uh, have 60 pastors under us. I never set out to uh, do a ministerial. Uh, I don't have, you know, never had that ambition, never thought of it. It all came about just by serving. Uh, when I was there, I had a pastor call me from Sicily, and he said, uh, I have a funeral to do. Do you have any notes? I said, sure, I'll send you my notes. Here's my notes. And then word spread really quickly, so I started getting phone calls for marriages and weddings and baby dedications and so on. And then we realized that there wasn't much for a children's church, and so my wife, Connie, started to uh, do a curriculum for children's church. And then before you knew it, we had a number of pastors following us just, uh, uh, just because we were serving them and providing material. There was a need for something. And we've, uh, we've translated books. We've translated by the grace of God, we've translated 50 books now. So we started out with, I brought some to show you because I think it's really uh, beautiful to see. Do you recognize, anybody recognize this? You should recognize this. This is Redeemed by Kenneth E. Hagen. Redenti dalla povertà, dalla malattia, dalla morte spirituale. From poverty, sickness, and spiritual death. And then we've done uh, uh, Brother Savell's books. Uh, do you recognize this? Victory, Vittoria Successo sono vostri. And uh, you should recognize this one because this is like a classic uh, bestseller. You recognize this one? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. See? Se Satana non riesce a rubarvi la gioia, non può tenersi i vostri beni. Remember that? That's what it sounds like in Italian. And then there's this one, Camminare nel favore divino. And you see, we even have it. Do you see his picture? See, he looks better in Italian than he does in English. <laughs> <laughs> really good. And, and even that's growing now. You know, we, we, we're, we've, uh, we've translated other books. And uh, 
we've we've uh, been able to translate uh, uh, Joyce Meyer books, a couple of her books. And this is the latest one that uh, Connie has this favor over her to for the publishing house. The, the, the book that we just got permission to do is uh, uh, Who Switched My Brain Off by Dr. Carolyn Leaf. <laughs> you hear that? We're, we're just having fun and just enjoying that. And so uh, it's just really nice to be here with you. God put something in, uh, in my heart. And so we can, uh, how many of you have your Bibles? You have your Bibles? Amen. Tablets, iPads, leather Bibles. I think I told you everything I need to tell you. I'm just going through Connie's tape. Uh, I have a recording here by Connie, my wife. Every, every wise man should have a recording <laughs> from his wife. When I start to talk too much at, at lunch, I did that a couple of times with Justin. I said, I heard Connie say in my head, you're talking too much, Mauro. <laughs> and definitely, definitely, this is a no-no. You know what? Anywhere I'm in the world, I'm not allowed to compare Italian food to anything else. That, that's a recording right there. That's an alarm bell. It's like, like an alarm. Don't even go there. I don't even have to start that. I just have to think it. When I think it, Connie's alarm bell goes off. No comparing food, nothing like that. Uh, the, uh, the churches, the ministerial. And oh, 60, by the way, is not, you know, evangelistically speaking. We're not making it up. It's actually, uh, Dr. Savelle has seen them. They're there. This past conference that we had in April, Dr. Savelle was there, and we, had, we actually had 75 um, and they came from, some came from other parts of Europe. It was a great conference that we had. And uh, uh, Dr. Savell is, is loved in Italy. Do you know that? Uh, you need to treat him well or we'll keep him there next time. <laughs> but it's not just that. You know, if, if good matters won't work, then let me try this. If you don't treat him well, I got friends in Sicily. <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> Don't make you an offer you can't refuse. I, do, I, I, I literally do. And speaking of Sicily, this he promised many, many years ago. And uh, 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 so next year, he'll come back and we're going to do a tour of, of some churches. And uh, just going to be a really, really good time in the Lord. Amen. And uh, so, uh, and Bible schools, I forgot. We have uh, three Bible schools, and uh, we just opened a campus now in uh, Pacino. Pacino is the southernmost tip of Sicily. It's like, uh, it's right across from Africa. Uh, parts of Sicily are uh, further south than some parts of Africa. Uh, Morocco and Tunisia are further north and, and Sicily is further south. So for, in Sicily, they said they go to Africa. They say, let's go up north, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's like here in, uh, in, in uh, Canada and the United States. You know, so, southern Ontario, where Toronto is, is uh, south, further south, like Montana and some other parts. Wyoming are further north. And so, uh, and we have a Bible school there with 42 students, hungry for the word of God. Amen. And we just, we just launched that. And boy, are they happy the next year at their opening of school, we have Dr. Savell coming. That's exciting, amen. <laughs> Glory to God. All right. <clears throat> so I think I said everything. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to tell you too that I have three daughters. Uh, <laughs> Laura is 26. 
I, I, can't, I can't get my head around having a 26-year-old uh, uh, daughter because I feel 25, you know. <laughs> Connie and I feel like we're in our 20s still. And, uh, and, and Debbie, 21, and, and Sarah is uh, 15. Amen. That's just a little introduction. And uh, so let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 4. God put something in my heart. And uh, uh, this is a familiar passage of scripture. Luke chapter 4. And I'd like to read the text first. And then I prepared a PowerPoint. And we'll, we'll start it in a minute. Let me read the text first. Luke uh, chapter 4. We'll start in verse 16. It says, Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went in the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Is this not Joseph's son? Isn't this Joseph's son? Say that with me, please. Isn't this Joseph's son? Okay, say it again. Isn't this Joseph's son? Because that, that, that's the heart of what uh, the Holy Spirit put in, in my heart for, for us this morning. So he said, isn't this Joseph's son? And he said to them, in verse 23, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And whatever we heard down in Capernaum, do also here in your country. And then he said, surely I say to you, no prophet is accepted except in his own country. But I, try, I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. And there was a great famine throughout the land, but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And you know what Jesus said here didn't make the religious folks really happy at all. And so it says in verse 28, all those in the synagogue when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which the city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. You know, and you thought you had a bad day. 
<laughs> this morning, you know. This was not a very popular sermon. You know, they, they wanted to kill him. Can you imagine preaching, doing good? So all he did was say, you know, God, God sent me to do good things, heal people and help people, and they wanted to kill him. And then in verse 30, it says, passing through the midst of them, uh, he went his way. And that, that's the word of the Lord for, for this morning, the scripture reading. Father, thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you this morning for your word. Thank you, Father. We stand on your word. Your word feeds our spirit and transforms our minds. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for revelation and understanding in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So this is a really well-known passage, the passage on uh, the anointing. And I am not going to teach on the anointing this morning. There's a lot of uh, really good sermons on it and uh, a lot of books written on it. I'm sure you've heard sermons on the anointing. That's not what I'm going to focus on. I believe that the Lord will have me focus on the reaction to uh, the speech, the sermon that Jesus preached, to what he said, the reaction. Because uh, we live in a world that uh, has a lot of religiosity in it. Uh, I, you know, I went from uh, a country which is Canada, which is uh, uh, pluralistic and multicultural, and there's freedom of religion, and there is no one religion that dominates over any other. And so I'm used to uh, plurality. Uh, God sent me to minister in a nation that uh, uh, religiosity is by definition what it is. Uh, Italy, which of course we love the Italian people. I am Italian. I think Italians are great, you know. I think we're like Texans, you know. We're just great people, you know. But, uh, and when we talk about religiosity, you have to understand this. We're never, ever, ever talking about a, a person or people or even a group of people. We're talking about a mindset that is found in every place of the world. Now, when I was 18... I felt called by God. I felt the call of God in my life, but we were Catholics. And so, uh, do you know, I, I went uh, to the cemetery to be, uh, to the seminary to be a priest. <laughs> I just felt Connie kick me right now. I said, say, Mauro, behave. Say. I went to the seminary to be a priest. And uh, in the seminary, somebody smuggled in the authority of the believer by Kenneth E. Hagan. <laughs> that's how I, I, you know, that's how it all started for me. And I thought, well, this is what, I came in here for this, <laughs> I said, you know, for the Bible, for the Word of God. And I, I didn't know who Kenneth Hagan was. And I thought, you know, I said, here's some, finally, I found somebody else who believes like me. You know, that, that was my thought. And all I meant by that was, if Jesus said it, then I believe it, you know? Like if the signs follow the believer, then I believe the signs follow the believer. And if, if God is a healer, then I believe God is a healer. And instead of teaching me that, they were teaching me all kinds of reasons why it wasn't so. Can you imagine going to church and, and learning why God doesn't answer prayer? Or why God is not good or why God will, you know, allow all kinds of disaster in your life to humble you and to teach you. I thought, I mean, I thought, isn't church the place where we're supposed to go to learn how good God is and, 
And good means good, right? It actually means don't, 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 because in religiosity, uh, you know, you never hear a religious person say God is not good because that would be considered blasphemy. So what they go to work on intellectually is the definition of good. They redefine good. So God is good, but then you have to define good. And then, and then uh, you know, what is considered a part of the curse, sickness and poverty and, and, uh, and all these negative things in the Bible, in, in the Christian religious world, become good. And it's a mindset. So Italy has more churches per capita than any other nation in the world. It's all divided into parishes and it's designed so that you go to church, you walk to church because there's a church in every neighborhood. And, and you know, people, when they think of church, they think of a, of a building and bell tower and, and the pews and so on. And of course, when God uh, thinks of church, he thinks of people, not a building, but people. And he thinks people that are called out. And, and really... Uh, there isn't much difference between uh, the uh, people that Jesus had an encounter with here in Luke chapter 4 in our text and the descendants of these people who are still alive today who will give you a hard time just because, you know, you believe that God is good and you take God at his word and you believe that healing is for today and God answers prayer and miracles are for today and the blessings of God are for today. And the encounters that we have with people like that are very similar to this, to the one that Jesus had with these people because that's just the religious mindset. And I repeat again, it doesn't really matter what religion you're talking about because, you know, we can become very religious in our word of faith circles. We can become very religious in our Pentecostal circles. Because you know you know that if you play that song in that way at that particular time, that there's going to be, that person is going to get up and do the little dance, you know, or have the little ticks like that, right? It's very predictable. Or, you know, we may hear about a meeting somewhere of somebody that, you know, got healed while we were singing all the blood of Jesus. And now we have every church that wants to sing the blood of Jesus because that's the only way that people get healed. We can become really religious too. And we come, you know, and we have our two fast songs and two slow songs and then the announcement and then, well, what if God wants two slow songs first and then two fast songs after? And what if God wants the sermon first? <laughs> right? Uh, I was telling Justin, you know, Pastor Justin, I had this great conversation with him. And, and you know, and it depends on the individual because you can find, uh, you know, people that are hungry. This particular priest was sincere and hungry, you know. It depends on the individual. And, you know, we had to do a wedding together. And, uh, and so, I said, so I said, sure, I'll do the wedding together. That's fine because half the family went to my church and half the family went to, still to the Catholic church, right? And, and do you know who persecuted me the most? The Pentecostals in Italy. They said, how come you're going to the Catholic church to do a wedding? I said, well, I, I blame Dr. Savalli. I said, I learned that from him. <laughs> I did. He said he would go anywhere. They, you know, they, they asked him to go if he didn't have to compromise. And so I sat down with the priest, and we had a very pleasant conversation. I was the first evangelical he had ever met. And, uh, and uh, you understand, 20 years ago, you know, when I went, 
And things have changed in 20 years because of the books and different things that have happened, the churches that have been planted and the multiplication of churches. But uh, I had to explain what, what, what I, who are you? I said, I am a shepherd. Because in Italy, the word for shepherd is the word for shepherd, pastor, shepherd. There's only one word. There isn't a religious word like, you know, shepherd and then a pastor. So only one word, meaning I've watched sheep. But they thought I watched, you know, four-legged sheep on a hill. (laughs) Literally. And when I said, I'm a, I'm a shepherd, they would go, oh, like, you know, like they thought I was. And no, no, I said, no, I don't mean the four-legged kind. I mean the two-legged kind. I'm an evangelical shepherd. And they say, you're an evangelical what? So I was the first evangelical that this priest had met. And, uh, and you know, so we start to talk. And I, I said to the Lord before, I said, Lord, just please arrange it. That, how many of you have ever gone to Mass here? Come, come from a count. See? So, you know, so, you know they, they, have the, uh, uh, they have the liturgy of the Word, they call it, where they read the Gospel and Paul's letter, then preach. So I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, just please arrange it. Open a door so I can do that part. So he volunteered and he said, you know, I'll do the incense and I'll do all the other things. And why don't you uh, read a scripture and then teach the word? I said, sure, thank you, I will. And then we started to talk, you know, and he wanted to know who, uh, who, uh, who I was and what I did. I said, well, I'm an evangelical pastor. And he wanted to know about our, our service. So I, I'm trying to relate so I'm saying, well, it's a lot, uh, the, the, the general order of service and the different components are a lot like it's always been from the history of Christianity, from when they met in the catacombs. You know, you come and you worship God, you sing songs. You sing songs in church too at Mass. And then there is uh, the, the, the word, the teaching of the word, and you do that. And there's an offertory, I said, where you bring an offering. You know, they brand us as a cult in Italy because we teach tithes and offerings and it's been in the catacombs they brought something. You never go before God with empty hands. Amen? And, and even at Mass, they bring something. You know, the cat, they bring something. So you, you bring, it's, it's a well-known, well-founded, established practice in Christianity. Nothing strange about it. And then I said, you know, and then we have a moment, I said, where... Now, this is where things got, you know, interesting. Where we just let the Holy Spirit move. And he said, you let what? <laughs> yeah, I said. And so he said, he said to me, you know what he said? Okay, and wh- what's your missal, your, your letter, your book? Where do you get your things? Because in, in the Catholic tradition, they have three big books like this. And they're on a three-year cycle. And like this morning, you know, I, I, I prayed on Monday. I started to pray for the service. And then I had to get a direction from God on which scripture to go to. In the Catholic tradition, you don't do that. It's already laid out for you. You read whatever the scripture is. You read it this morning. And then you have a few comments laid out for you. And that really surprised him. We, we do this. This is our life, isn't it, Pastor Justin? We, so he said, so you mean you've been doing this? Th- I've been pastoring 36 years. I said, yes. And he did some math and he said, you mean for 52 uh, times a year for 36 years, and that's over, a th- that's, that's over a thousand, right? You've had to come up with a sermon. How do you do that? I never thought of that. And it's actually three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night for 36 years. I said, well, it's, it's God. And it was interesting to see his mindset, you know. 
And you go, is that right? Yeah. And then I said, and then we get back to the, uh, the and you said, you never run out of, no, well, no, I haven't yet, no. <laughs> and then he said, how do you live? Well, I said, well, I said, you know, the people give tithes and offerings. And he said, he said to me, I never thought of this. So he said, so if the people give, you eat. And if the people don't give, you don't eat. I said, well, I guess so if you put it that way, you know. But I haven't missed a meal yet. I'm doing all right, you know, so. <laughs> it's okay. God's been faithful. <laughs> but this is the part, listen, that I was getting. This is the part of going somewhere. And he said, uh, you know, and then this part about, that, then we just, we, we just pray and let God move if he wants to do something. And he said, oh, and I said, now I knew the answer, you know, but I, I didn't because I was in the seminary, remember? But, but uh, uh, I did kind of like God. You know, when Adam fell, God said, Adam, where are you? He, he didn't ask because he didn't know. He already knew the answer to the question that he asked. So sometimes it's wisdom to ask a question even though you already know the answer. Because I wanted to get to this. Because he was so open, in that case, there was no uh, confrontation. I said, well, don't you have in your in your service, a spot where God wants to move? And he looked at me and he goes, no, we don't. So I pointed out, you know, said, well, don't you think that? He pointed out, actually, he said, well, because I looked at him and he said, well, it was mutual. I said, well, isn't that kind of strange? Should we not, in a church, have a spot where God, if he wants to, can do something? Now, you see, you talk about religiosity. We're going to get to Luke 4, okay? We're getting there. Uh, we're doing okay? But listen, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the evangelical Protestant world now is full of religiosity. Because I repeat, I never want you to think that I'm talking about a, a group or, or people. I'm talking about a mindset. Think of it. You know, I know I did it. I'm guilty. In 1982, when I was in Toronto... I had myself, like every respectable Word of Faith pastor, a plexiglass pulpit with the timer, because you had to have the timer, right? And the three-piece suit with the little watch that came out like Smith Wigglesworth. I was religious. Now listen, a few years ago, there's been a movement because now, now, now no more plexiglass pulpit. Now we got to have a metal thing or a round table, a stool, and wait, no tie and jacket and jeans and, you know, a shirt out. That can become, you know, when you do that over and over again, it becomes a religious thing. It becomes a ritual. And, and I, I am not, I don't care about tie, no tie, as long as you look good and you give your best. I was seeker friendly because of, before there was ever seeker friendly. When I passed in Toronto uh, in the winter, I wore a sweater because I was cold. <laughs> you know, it was cold. We have cold winters there. I didn't know it was going to become a, a, a movement then, you know, no tie. But, but that can, that when you do something over and over again, it becomes a religious thing. And, you know, and I, 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 so whether it's tie or no tie, metal or plexiglass, what I'm saying is, it doesn't matter to me. I don't think it's tied to the anointing. 
Because if you have a young man that thinks that, you know, just because you got a stool and a round table, you take your shirt out, you think you're going to be anointed. Uh, you may not be because the anointing is not tied to that. The anointing is tied to the call of God and fellowship with God and prayer. All those are external things that, 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 uh, that, you know, can go one way or another. The packaging is different. And so the religious mindset in Italy is really interesting. But it was interesting. And, you know, now I've seen churches that were in the Word of Faith and tragically have gone out. And they had me before service, a program of service, which has every minute accounted for. And I'm starting to point out to them, I said, you know, I understand the praise and worship and I understand the, uh, the, uh, the you know, the announcements and this and that and the sermon. And I don't think we need to preach three hours. And that. plus, you know, around you're okay because around noon I get hungry. When I get hungry, it's time to go. Because... <laughs> Italians, we don't fool around with lunch. Lunch is important. So there you go. So you're okay. <laughs> but, 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 but you know, and these, these, are, these are evangelical modern churches. And I, and I have it, and I look at it and I said, where is the entry here? Can, you, can we please put in the program five minutes just in case God wants to do something? Because it's ridiculous that we have churches that are called Christian where if God did want to do something, we're sorry, you can't. There's no time. It's not in the schedule. <laughs> and if things were like that in the 70s, you know, uh, Connie and I got saved in the 70s. Remember the 70s disco music? Do you remember? John Travolta was my hero. Do you remember that? Ah, stay alive, stay alive. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. Services like that would not have got me out of there. What got me out of there was the word of faith, the Holy Spirit, the revival meetings, the praying in tongues. That's what got me out of that. That, that would not have gotten me out. That was it. I went, I went in, in services where it was so full of the Holy Spirit that, you know, I thought... It it it, it, uh, it 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 was nothing. I thought the discotheques were exciting, but the Holy Spirit-filled meetings were much more exciting. Amen. And, and I don't even think this is like a religiosity thing. I think this is. I think this is close to blasphemy. This doctrine about the Holy Spirit being offensive. What are you kidding me? Hello. You know, the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost moved and there was noise and there was confusion and there was, and there was wind and there was, you know, a, a, a mighty wind blowing and there were tongues of fire and there, were, and there was chaos and thousands of people got saved. It wasn't offensive then, was it? That, that, that's crazy, isn't it? Uh, because I repeat, I would not have gotten saved if it wasn't for, for the way that the Holy Spirit was moving, I think that, you know, we're going to see that more. Amen? Amen? Don't you believe that? And listen, in a religious place, in a religious place like Italy, the Holy Spirit is the only thing that we have that makes a difference. Amen. Because the religion in Italy has the best buildings. We can never compete with that. 
They have all of the all of the sports arenas. They have everything that they could possibly have. So if it all comes down to just nice music, a nice hall, and nice concert, and the nice lights, they beat us all the time because they have unlimited resources. But what do we have the religiosity does not have is we have the Holy Spirit of God. We have the new birth. We have people getting born again like they did in the Bible, in the book of Acts, in the New Testament church. And we have the Holy Spirit moving like we did in the New Testament. Amen? So this brings us to Luke 4. Are you, are you still there? All right, good. So we start with verse 16. Okay, we'll just read, pick out a few verses and just comment on them uh, real quickly. So in verse 16, Luke 4, 16, and you can put my PowerPoint. Yeah. So Jesus comes to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So Jesus grew up in uh, Nazareth. This is where he grew up. And notice, and the, the context here is, this is Luke chapter 4, right? So in chapter 1, uh, chapter 1 and 2 talk about his birth. And then Luke puts, puts the genealogy. And then just before this, uh, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And so when you think about it, there's very little said about the first 30 years of Jesus' life. There's a few passages about the birth. And then there's sinus for 12 years. And then at 12 years is that incident that Luke reports about Jesus in the temple uh, when, when, when Mary and Joseph lost him, can you imagine losing the son of God? <laughs> you know, like they were on a trip and they lost him. Panic or what? Where is he? Well, he was discussing the scriptures uh, with, uh, with, with, the, with the Pharisees. And then after that, there's more silence until he's 30. So there's another uh, 18 years of silence. And, and about 29 years of Jesus' life, most of his life, Luke describes it like this. There's one verse in chapter 2 at the end that says, Jesus grew in stature and wisdom before, oh, stature, wisdom and grace. So if you're God in the flesh, how do you grow in stature? I don't know. How do you grow wisdom when you're wisdom incarnate? I don't, you know, I've been doing this for 36 years. I know very little. I don't know. I don't have the answers. That's why I'm not preaching on that. I don't know. <laughs> and, and he grew in grace. How does fullness of grace grow in grace? I don't know. Other people think they know, but I don't know. We just have to believe it. And just say, he just did. Before God and before man. I understand favor, you know, like before man opening doors, but before God, he's already wisdom incarnate. And see, but, that, but I'm going to preach on what I know, what, not what I don't know, okay? So, so, so uh, he grew, and it was like that. And then uh, Jesus went to be baptized by John. Do you remember that? And I mean, John, and it was like, uh, John said, no, I'm not baptizing you. And Jesus said, yeah, you have, we have to fulfill all the scripture, all righteousness. And then, and then, and then John baptized him, and then the heavens opened up, and, and there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son. And then you go, you know, think about that. I mean, isn't that time now to, to start printing the, the, the letterhead and, and the business <laughs> cards and open your Facebook page and your, and your web page with, to enter into ministry. That's what happens to them. You know, voice from heaven ministries. I mean, that'll sell. (laughs) 
uh, you know, when, when uh, I think Pastor Justin said, but, uh, you know, at the revival 26 years ago, one night, Brother Savell, I was sitting right there, and he said, you know, here, you're preaching, you know, and I thought, oh, man, I prepared this time. It's okay. This is, <laughs> but then, and, you know, and, 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 and he had a prophecy over me. I never used it. I never put it in any letterhead, in any business card, in any website. It just comes up when it comes up. This is the first time it come up because, because Pastor Justin brought it up. You don't need to do that. You don't need to push. Let God do things. Let God lift you up and promote you. Let him do it. Amen. Amen? Amen? No, do you know what Jesus does? Remember, we're in Luke 4. Are you still with me? Don't, don't go wonder with your mind, okay? Stay with me. Luke 4, Luke 4, okay? You think it's celebration time. It's, you know, well, not in Texas, but in Italy, you know, champagne time, you know? Yeah, you'll love this. In Italy, after, after they baptize people, not in our church, because we're, we're, we're okay. But... I, I, I went to do this baptism, uh, 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 Dr. Savell, and, and, and so they called me in. I was, they were so honored to have me. We baptized 10 people, and then, you know, I'm praying. Thank you, Lord, we baptized these people under here. Poo, 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 poo. They popped the champagne in church. Just, I don't want to shock you. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying anything, okay? It's just... Uh, and, then, and then, you know, the so I was shocked because, you know, I go, whoa. And the pastor looked at me and he goes, well, we're celebrating. Aren't you happy that people were saved today? <laughs> Let's get back on topic, right? So celebrate, right? And then he, and then, no, didn't, do you know what Jesus did? The Holy Spirit had him go in the desert to be tempted by the devil 40 days, 40 nights. Jesus, so it wasn't, you know, party time, you're called to the ministry. He went in the desert. He was tempted by the devil 40 days, 40 nights, and he didn't eat 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, you know, like, can you imagine? I'm Italian. We don't go 40 minutes without eating. I'm not 40 days and 40 nights. Are you kidding me? That's the third time I mentioned food and lunch, you know, already. <laughs> and then, you know, Jesus defeated the devil, beat him up and shot him up, right? It is written. You remember that? And then listen, and then what happens? He goes to Nazareth and here we are right now. Here we are right here, okay? He goes to the synagogue and you know what? This is a worse temptation than the desert. I'd rather be 40 days in the desert with the devil in person than a few minutes with religious people. Because the devil, you know, you can beat up in the word, you know, and, and you throw the, you, David threw a rock at Goliath. We throw the rock of the word of God at the devil, right? But you can't throw rocks at people. When you're dealing with people and religion, you got all these things, you know, you got, I got, I got the Holy Spirit, and then I got, Connie says, you got to be gentle and walking in love, you know, and I got, I got a schizomauto that depends, I want to strangle you, or I want to hug you, you know. I still haven't decided. Maybe you can talk, tell, give me some advice if I want to be a gentle reformer or I want to grab a knife and stick, you know, 90 theses in St. Peter's Square. I haven't decided yet, and it kind of depends on which way I wake up in the morning. 
So I'd rather be with the devil because you can beat him up no problem. There's no issue about love and dealing with people and humility and all that because you got to be gentle. You can't call people dummies. You can't, you can't do that, you know. You know, Paul, do you remember the book of Acts? He wanted to strangle the high priest, but when he found out he was a high priest, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were the high priest. So, so he was a little schizo too. So I'm okay, I'm in good company. <sighs> because their mindset is really twisted. right so here he is okay let me go on come on stop holding me up here okay so as his custom was everybody say custom a custom is like something you do habitually right it's a habit it's a repeated habit he went to church can you imagine that Jesus went to church regularly we have geniuses today that pilfer doctrine that say, oh, you don't have to go to church if you don't want to, you know. I go to church if I want to. I pray if I want to and if I don't. I, you know, since the day I said yes to Jesus, I haven't done anything that I wanted to without checking with him first. I don't mean, I don't, does it sound to you like I'm, I'm, I, I am like repressed or something? I'm not. I'm a happy guy. I don't mean he doesn't give you the desires of your heart, but you're taking that right. I mean, there's a side to my life where I don't belong to myself anymore. I'm under orders. I have to ask the Lord where, where I told you, you know, if Jesus were to appear to me, uh, uh, you know, tonight and say, Mauro, where would you like to live anywhere in the world? I already got my bags packed for Texas. I'm not kidding you. I like it, but he's not asking me. He's saying you got to go there, stay there, and do that. No, Jesus went to church. Don't you think that if he went to church, we need to go to church? There are several reasons. That's not what I'm talking about. I can't talk about this too much. But number one, it's John said that it's impossible to love an invisible God without loving visible brothers and sisters. Can, cannot be done. Theologically, it can't be done. And practically, it can't be done. You know why? Because we're, the commandment is love God and love your neighbor, right? If you're home by yourself, you and Jesus doing your own thing, what are you going to love yourself? You can't even obey the commandment. And, and how do you know, what's the only way to measure how patient you are? Not by yourself. You know, I'm studying at home. I'm in the glory of God, you know, praying in tongues. And I feel, you know, praying in tongues, I'm glowing in the dark. I'm so spiritual, you know. And, 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 you know, and, 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 and like that. And then, you know, and then Connie comes up with, with the groceries, you know. And she says, Emma, can you help me please, honey? You know, what, what do you mean can I help you? Don't you know? I'm the man of God. I don't carry things. Like, I'm in the presence of God. I'm studying, right? And it's amazing how I can go from glory goosebump to utter carnality in one second, you know? And now, I'm, because by myself, I'm, I'm infinitely patient. I think I'm the most patient guy on the planet. But then, you know, if I go for a jog this morning by myself, I think I'm the fastest man on earth. (laughs) Because 
It's the moment when somebody runs with me that you realize maybe I'm not that fast. The only way, <laughs> the only way to measure patience is when you're sitting in church next to the person you're sitting next to who kind of bugs you. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, that doesn't happen. In, that, that happens in Italy. That doesn't happen here in Crowley, does it? There's some, that's the only way you can measure the patience. It's not possible. Thought close. So Jesus went to church, we need to go to church. Amen. 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 Give me verse 17, please. So let's go on. And then it says, you know, he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. So they gave it to him. And then when he opened the book, and of course we know it's not a book, right? It's a, it's a, it's a scroll. And then it says, he opened the book, and then it says, he found the place where it was written. Does that sound to you like he looked for it on purpose? Because I think he looked for it on purpose. You know, he found it. They gave him the book. He didn't pick the book. They gave him the scroll of Isaiah. But he's looking for this and he found it. And then when he finds it, there's the passage of uh, the anointing, right? The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, go on, to uh, preach the gospel to the poor, to heal uh, the brokenhearted, right? And then to preach, proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and then to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And then it says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So I'm not preaching on that. That's why I just read it fast. The acceptable year of the Lord is the year of Jubilee. Do you know that? Amen. Let me show you what religiosity does. In Italy now, it's the, they proclaim the year of Jubilee. Religious people love to take pieces of the Bible and crystallize them and structure them into, into, into safe, repetitive rituals convincing you and you know really you're self-deceived thinking that you've done something and so you know they they take what the centurion said the roman centurion you know he said uh, it, it was a it was a context of healing right and he said uh, he went to jesus for the healing of a servant and uh, 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 the centurion said, you, you don't have to come. You don't have to come in my house. Don't come to my house. Just say a word and my servant will be healed. Jesus spoke the word and the servant was healed. So now in, in the Catholic ritual, they have, you know, before communion. Do you remember that? Lord, I'm not worthy to come under your roof, but only say the word. And, I'm, and now you see how it's out of context. There's people that are convinced that somebody said that in the Bible. Nobody said that. And it has nothing to do with the Lord's Supper. It has nothing to do with communion. It, 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 Jesus hadn't even instituted the Lord's Supper yet. The Roman centurion, you know, is rolling in his grave, you know, every time those words. That's what we do. Uh, have, you, have you ever been to Israel? You've been to Israel? I don't know what, why religious people always want to, want to build a, a cathedral on something and ruin the whole site. It's like a mania of some kind. You know, you go to the, to the I, I want to go to the resurrection church. 
And I expect to see a manger, and, and you know, I see a, a, a structure and an altar with a stone that you kiss. That doesn't give me the experience of a manger. But that's religiosity. The traditional, you know, uh, in Christianity, the nominational side for the resurrection is the same. You go to the church and, and it's like there's, there's like a, a you know, a, a thing and around it and then the same thing. There's like a stone, but, but it's not that. I want to see a tomb. These are just my thoughts on religiosity. <laughs> See, but then over on our side, we're the same, you know, because when Jesus said, you know, when, when the Roman centurion said, uh, um, uh, no, don't come, don't, don't come under my, uh, don't come to my house, say a word, right? Then do you remember Jairus? How many of you remember Jairus? Now Jairus went to Jesus and said, come to my house, lay hands on my daughter and she will be healed. Now, Jesus didn't say, no, that's not the way it's done. You know, a few weeks ago, I was with a Roman centurion, and I only heal at a distance. Do you see what I'm saying? But, you know, if Jesus were to heal at a distance, then in the Protestant world, we start the denomination of the first churches of healing at a distance only. <laughs> and any other way of healing is not valid because that's the only way we do it. That's the religiosity mindset. No, Jesus did exactly what Jairus said, right? He went to his house. By the time he got to his house, the daughter was dead, but Jesus laid hands on her and she was raised. Amen? Amen. And so we need to follow the Holy Spirit and not get into rituals and, and religiosity because that doesn't help at all. Amen? I said it doesn't help at all. And then in verse 20, now we get to my sermon, okay? That was my introduction, okay? And then he said, I learned that from Dr. Savell too, so. And then he closed the book and he gave it to the attendant and he sat down. Can I borrow a Bible? So let's picture this, okay, word for word. So here's Jesus and it's a scroll, right? But here's the book. So he says, here you go. So he reads that, the scripture, the passage on the anointing. Then here's what Jesus does, literally. Close the book, gives it to the attendant, and then he sits down. Lesson over. <laughs> Wait, verse 21, it gets better. Verse 21 says, the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. So here's the picture, right? They're staring at him like you're staring at me, this crazy Italian now. <laughs> Who is this crazy Italian? Where did he come from? Where does Dr. Savell find these individuals? You know, where does, where does he find them? <laughs> you know, right? And Jesus, I imagine, is staring right back. Right? But fixed, you understand, I is fixed. It has two elements in it. One, the intensity. So it's not like a casual. It's not your, you know, polite elevator glance. You know, you only have like, what, one and a half seconds and then you got to look away, right? It's not that, right? This is like stare. It's, in, it's intense and the time component, right? The intensity and the time. And like they're really staring him down. 
And they're not saying anything, and he's not saying anything. I imagine knowing Jesus, you know, as I follow him in the gospel, he's kind of enjoying this, you know. <laughs> and he's not intimidated. Is he intimidated in any way? Do you know that God will put you and I in situations like this? If you never find yourself in situations like this, Probably you're not living your, living your, I know you're going to say, well, Jesus doesn't work on the inside. Listen, when he doesn't work on the inside, it should show up on the outside. Shouldn't it? This is not, this is not legalism. This is reality. And so, you know, it should be like that when at work, everybody tells a dirty joke and you're not, and you're the only one not laughing. Now it should be every eye staring at you. How come he's not laughing? <laughs> at your parent-teacher meeting, right? Where they start to say, you know, in the school we want to start to teach, they've done that in Europe for years now. We want to start to teach that, you know, marriage should be, it can also be between a man and a man, a woman and a woman and whatever, right? Then politely, you don't have to be mean, you put your, you know, you're there, you have a right to speak, you say, you know what, I, I, I think, I believe, I think it should be between a man and a woman. And now all eyes are going to be fixed on you. <laughs> if as a Christian, you never find yourself in a place where eyes are staring at you, you may not be living your Christianity the way that you should. Just a thought. And if we were to accuse you of being a Christian and take you to court, is there enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? I mean, visible evidence. Now, was Jesus bothered? Was he intimidated? See, this is where the conflict begins between the religious people. Uh, Matthew starts his gospel, Jesus, son of Abraham, son of David. There's that lineage, Abraham and David. We belong to that lineage there. The Pharisees, Jesus was son of Abraham, son of David. Lineage of Melchizedek, the high priest of Melchizedek. The Pharisees boasted that they saw their lineage, Moses and Levi. Listen, when the sons of Levi talk with the sons of Abraham and of David, of covenant, of faith, and of the promise, there's always a clash whether we like it or not because we're on two different tracks Two different mindsets. And we don't mean to. But, uh, our church in Italy got started in a kitchen. There was a handful of us. The lady where we met, the husband was, his name is Claudio. Claudio was the biggest drug dealer in town. He was an addict. He was a drug dealer. There's a handful of us in the kitchen uh, I pray for Claudio. Claudio falls. They, these are people who never read their Bible, don't know anything about, but they don't know anything about falling. He hits his head on the corner of the stove. This is, this is when I arrived. I thought, you know what? There goes the end of the ministry right there, you know. <laughs> Newspaper headings, you know. He got up totally set free. Him, is, him and his wife now are elders in church. The people that we started with in the kitchen are still with us after 20 years. And they're all in leadership position. When the priest found out, see, now I, talked, I told you about an open priest. This one wasn't too open. 
he came to see me and he said, you know what? And, you know, I said, I expect it. Let's rejoice, you know. Hey, Claudio, you know, uh, was the biggest drug dealer in town. He was a drug addict and now he got set free. I expected, well, praise God, let's rejoice. He said, no. He said to me, it would have been better for him to stay on drugs than to come to your crazy church. But see, that's a religious mindset. Why? Because we don't have candles. We don't have statues. They put, see, they put, for the religious mindset, the Sabbath, no, man is made for the Sabbath, right? And so, but you expect, you know, don't you expect like this? So you say, well, you know what? I don't believe in, you know, having drums. I don't believe in lifting hands in church. I don't believe in clapping because, you know, I believe that only the pipe organ is the authorized instrument with which to worship God, you know. But you know what? He was a drag addict and now he's better off. So thank God for that. Wouldn't you expect at least that? No, but not, not, from, not from people who have a mindset of being religious and, you know, Levi and the law and the ritual. Jesus clashed with these people all the time. Do you remember the man that he healed that was a paralytic? Do you remember that? They were upset. Why were they upset? Because, listen, you know, if you expect to be, at least give me an intelligent reason. The reason was, it's the Sabbath. Ooh, that's bad, right? So Jesus couldn't heal the Sabbath. The problem is that for religious people, if you can't heal Saturday, they won't give you another day. Well, can I heal on Monday? No. Can I heal Wednesday? No. Can I heal Saturday? No. Plus, what's the man supposed to do? Take the bed, you know, oh, it's a Sabbath. Excuse me, lie down on it, you know, after Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk. And I'll I'll wait till midnight. I'll pretend to be paralyzed. When it's 12.01, tell me, and then I'll walk. There is... There's no intelligent answer to an objection like that because it's not an intelligent objection. Because the only response from a person who, who claims to follow God if somebody's paralyzed and then they're healed is, well, thank God, thank God that they're healed. And you know, I got a few sick people in my parish. I got a few people on drugs in my parish. Can I bring them to you? Can you pray? Can your people pray so that they can get healed too? Was Jesus, remember, they're staring at him. Was he intimidated? Was he intimidated in any way? Look at the next scripture. Listen to the the book of Philippians, what it says. He began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jeff, Philippians chapter one there. It says, in, in the Amplified, it says, not to be, it's one of my slides. It says, not to be intimidated uh, by, there it is. The next slide, that's the New King James. Listen to the Amplified. It says, do not be, Philippians 1.28 in the Amplified. It says, because this is why, don't be terrified in any way. Look at it, it's beautiful. It says, don't even for a moment be frightened or intimidated in anything by your opponents and your adversaries. Do you like that? Can you imagine that's in the Bible? That, that's in the New Testament to the church. Right? Like we're supposed to be wimps and be beat up all the time. And Paul says, never even for a moment. Say it with me. Not even for a moment. Ever. Will I be frightened? Or will I be intimidated? Never. Not even for a moment. By anything. <laughs> That my opponents or adversaries say. Amen. Isn't that good? And then you know, 
it says, you know, that verse 21, Luke 4, 21, going back to that, it says that, you know, they, uh, they, 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 were, they got upset with him. And they were all upset. They never heard what he said before. Now, why were they upset? For a number of reasons. One, because they thought he was arrogant. Like, who is this guy? They were upset at his book because, you know, religious people are supposed to speak like this. Well, brothers, you never know what God will do today. Amen. And you go, what? Come on. You know, there's got to be a balance. I already said to you before earlier, I think I don't know everything, but holy cow, do you have to say you never know? If you never know, it's because you never read. Some things we do. No. Read a little bit. There's got to be a balance between the arrogance of knowing everything. <clears throat> and that's one of the religious people's favorite phrases. You never know. You never know. You never know. Well, the truth is that some things we do know. What God has revealed, right? And we can walk in them, and it's enough to walk in them. <clears throat> but, but, they were, but they were upset, not just because they thought he was arrogant. They were upset because he challenged them. He went in their religious circle and challenged them openly. And he said, you know what was prophesied about the healing and the deliverance and the year of Jubilee? It's happening now. And that's a problem for the religious mindset. Because in the religious world, we have two camps. We have the the museum keepers, right? The ones that dust off what God did in the past. Oh, yes, he parted the Red Sea. Oh, yes, you know, there were he, Jesus healed, but he doesn't do it anymore. And then we have the crazy Pentecostal futurists who, you know, postpone every good thing until we're in heaven, right? One day you'll have joy, one day you'll have peace. One day you'll be healed. One day you'll be well. And their theme song is, uh, you know, the theme song for these other guys is memories <laughs> like the corners. You know what God did. These other guys are like, I'll fly away, oh, glory. We're just going to fly away. Do very little about the world. That's, that, that we're just going to fly away. <laughs> now, Jesus brought God from the past into the present and from the future into the present. And here's the deal. Here's the fun. Is that when you do that, you get both, both of them mad at you at the same time, you know. <laughs> you got the traditionalists mad denominator and you got the Pentecostals mad at you because it's now. It was the now part. It was God will save you now. Today's the day of salvation. God will heal you now. God will set you free now. The year of Jubilee is now. That's what bothered them was the now part. This is the reality. It's not the past, it's not, but it's now. We believe in Jesus now. That's why the religious year of Jubilee is a farce. But people are happy with, you know, little, little farces like that. You know, in the real, if you're going to proclaim a year of Jubilee, make it real. That means cancel my debt, credit card debt, pay my mortgage, and set, right? Because that's what happened in back. None of that happened this year in Italy. Not a real year of Jubilee. That's what's supposed to happen in the year of Jubilee, isn't it? 
Amen. So Jesus, right? He got, they got upset. Why? Because he brought it in the present. And then verse 22. Give me verse 22, please. It says that they marveled. You know that marveling is not enough? You can come to this church and marvel at the worship and go home unchanged. You can hear the word of God preached by Pastor Justin or Dr. Savell, and then go home unchallenged, unchanged, but you've marveled. Oh, that was a wonderful sermon. (laughs) (laughs) And then they say this question, which is my sermon, really. Remember, I had you repeat it. Is this not Joseph's son? You know, we honor our parents, but they didn't ask it in an honorable way. It's a very wicked question. It's a malicious question. It's a question designed to put Jesus down, to box him in, and to limit him. Isn't this Joseph's son? It's like saying, you know what? All this stuff, you know, just calm down, Jesus. Who do you think you are? Oh, they were Italian. They go, oh, who do you think you are? You're just Joseph's son. All this talk about liberty, anointing this and that, the anointing one, the year of Jubilee. Who do you think? Who do you think you are? You're Joseph's son. We know where you were born. We know your parents. We know where you came from. They thought Joseph was his father. And they tried to label him. Box him in and limit him. And that's exactly what God, what, what Satan does to each one of us whenever we believe God for something. Demonize, belittle Justin. What's your father's name? Paul. Justin. Where were you born, Justin? Maryland. Maryland. Justin. This is Paul's son, born in Maryland. What's he doing in Texas? (laughs) (laughs) Who does he think he is? You see what Satan does? That's right. And you know, you got you got a vision for Crowley, right? You got a vision for this church. Is she a who do you think you're? You're just Paul's son. Who do you think you are? Born in Maryland, Paul's son, who are you? What do you think you are? Stop this, stop this. We're going to have revival in Crowley. We're going to have a growing church. We're going to have a loving church. We're going to have a church that gets people saved with miracles. Who do you think? You're just Paul's son. Isn't that how Satan tries to limit? Dr. Savell, your daddy's name? Jerry. Jerry. Like, that's Jerry. Where were you born, sir? Vicksburg, Mississippi. Vicksburg, Mississippi. That's Jerry, right? Jerry, that's, that's Jerry, that's Jerry's son from Vicksburg, Mississippi. Who does he think he is? Go back, go back, go back to, 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 the, to, to the body shop, fixing cars. Who do you think, who do you think you are? You're Jerry's son from, from that place, I already forgot, in Mississippi, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's hard, to, that's hard to pronounce for me. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm Latino. The, the, these Anglo names are really difficult, you know. 
Yeah, they are. And, and so, you know, well, do, you know do you know what? God, and, and there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with being a carpenter if that's the call of your life. It's honorable, amen? Yeah. Nothing wrong with, with working in a body shop if that's the call of your life. But, we, well, God called them. He's gone around the world. Influenced nations. Has pastors all over the world. I'm one of them. Amen? That he's influenced us. Because he's not just Jerry's son. And you're not just Paul's son. And you know, I'm an Italian. What am I doing preaching in taxes? I'm Italian. I'm Massimo's son. My daddy's in heaven and, and, and Dr. Savelle met him. And my dad is in heaven. But, you know, and when we say, when we say Paul and when you say Jerry and I say Masu, my dad, we say it with honor. They didn't mean it like that. They meant it in a limiting, belittling way. They're saying this, just calm down, relax. You you know at the fairs, those games, have you ever seen them that they have those heads that pop up and with that hammer you have to whack them down, right? (laughs) See, that's what the devil is doing, you know. You get saved and you start, you know, hey, God healed. Maybe he can heal me too. And the devil will go, get back in your place. Healing is not free. Who do you think you are? Healing, right? And then you have a dream. You think, you know, maybe God will give me a new car. You know, boom, get back in your place. Who do you think you are? And then you hear testimonies about, you know, a new home or sowing and reaping or whatever, right? That's what the devil tries to do. Put you back in your place like that. So let's answer that question. Is this not Joseph's son? And I'm going to conclude now. Home stretch. Is this not Joseph's son? Well, as a matter of fact, no, it's not. He was not. He was God incarnate. He was not Joseph's son. Thank you very much. <laughs> right? Come, come. I, I am. That, that was, this, this was his declaration right here. I am the anointed one. The only begotten son of God. I'm not just with all respect and honor for all that Joseph did because he was an honorable man. But you know what? If you have a good good father, my dad is happy in heaven that I'm doing more than he did. And a good parent will always want your children. But I repeat again, it's because we honor them and we thank God for what they did. They did the best they could. But if they're good parents, they'll say, you know, you don't need to be limited. By your past, by your upbringing, by the neighborhood that you were born in. You don't need to be limited. You were born like that, but you don't have to stay there and you don't have to die like that. (laughs) Amen? That's one of the greatest lessons I had to learn as an Italian. You know, Italians, we're like, we're, we're Latino. We're, we're like Spanish, Portuguese, and, 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 and Brazilians, and Mexicans, and so on, and even Greeks, you know. We're like all cousins, you know. And, and we, we, we didn't really believe, you know, in, in all this, you know. Hey, you know, yeah, you can do anything in Christ. We kind of believe that the day depends on Jupiter and Mars and the horoscope and how it lines up, or, mo- or it depends on the government, what the government does, you know. Or it depends on the neighborhood or the boss. It took me years of teaching by, by ministers like Dr. Savell to learn that, you know what, God, greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. <laughs> and just because I started somewhere doesn't mean I have to stay there and I have to die there. So then no use complaining. I saw a documentary once, you know, on, on, on National Geographic. It was beautiful. There was this mama turtle that gave birth to all these baby turtles, and they were in the sand, you know. And they're born in the sand, but, they're, but, but God, God created them to go in the sea. And they didn't die in the nest in the sand. They got out, and they went boop, 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 like that, and they walked until they got to the sea. So just because you're born somewhere in a nest, it doesn't mean you have to die there like that, right? And without 
disrespecting the nest at all or the past at all. I honor my father. Amen. Amen. But Jesus is saying, I'm the only begotten son of God. What about you and I? Let's answer the question, whose son are you? And I'm finishing with this. Well, John 1.12 says that God has given us the right to be sons and daughters of God. Amen. Amen. He's given us the right. I'm not just Massimo's son. I am in the natural, but now I'm a son of God. I am a born again, spirit-filled son of God. Amen? And that means this now, that I'm not going to live. Jesus is saying, you know, yeah, my father was a comforter, but I'm not going to, you know, saw wood and make chairs my whole life. Again, nothing wrong with that. That's what you're called to do. But, you know, he said, no, God called me to do something else. And I'm not going to be limited from my, for, 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 I'm not going to be limited by my past. I refuse to live with the labels that you stick on me. I refuse to live with the stereotypes that you stick on me. And I'm going to rise up and do everything that God called me to do. Amen. And I will be, and I'm not going to let people tell me anymore who I am. Isn't that enough? Catering to people, they tell you who you are. Isn't it time you let God tell you who you are? Amen. Amen. That you can have what God says you can have, and you can do what God says you can do, and you are who God says you are. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and thank God for a moment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can you shout to the Lord in Crowley? Hallelujah. <coughs> oh, glory. Shout to the Lord really, really loud. Hallelujah. You know, in Italy, we're not, we're not afraid to shout to the Lord. Let me hear how you shout in Texas. Uh, that was a little better because the first one was kind of wimpy. You know, you didn't know. Okay, let's stand up now. And now that you can see that you can do it, let's really shout loud to the Lord. Amen. Give him a big shout. Hallelujah. Oh, do it again. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. Yeah.